Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Andrea Reynolds, and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. God of grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, and voices to sing your praise. Fill us with your spirit that we may celebrate your glory and worship you in spirit and in truth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us worship God. Our God is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is close to all who call on him in truth, 
listening to their cries for help and offering them salvation. So let's bring our confession to God, knowing that he will hear our prayers and forgive. Let us pray. Eternal God, in whom we live and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins, and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires, that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives you all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness and keep you to eternal life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors, especially those you may not have met before. <laughs>
Good morning. Welcome to this house of God um, in here and on television. And we have three pages of announcements. <laughs> Not really. Um, the best announcement I'll start with, we have, if you look over there where uh, usually the preacher sits, you see that our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. Alan Walworth, today will be bringing us God's words. Alan is helping us and many other churches like us to um, accelerate generosity toward God's inspired vision. I haven't told him personally, but I'm very jealous of him because he has a PhD in New Testament, which I always wanted and never will have. And um, you make up for it. And also, we have one really um, simple announcement. The last hymn is going to be 430, not 435. Our new member class is not today. It, it says in the bulletin, but it actually is next week. And shape class, it is more of a testimonial for me and my husband. Even if you know what your shape is in God's kingdom, in God's household or a community of faith here, please go attend that class. It's really, really good. June 20th and 27th, there will be a shape class offered. My husband and I went there when we were new here, and we are very grateful that we did. And also, Church of the Palms Online, uh, we try to keep everybody connected. Actually, Kathy Silva in the office is in charge of it. Um, if you haven't checked out our own website, your own website, www.churchofthepalms.org, please give it a try. It's really a good resource to know what's happening in the church and what is going to happen. Uh, please sign in the friendship pads and pass it along so you know who you are sitting next to and can greet one another by name after worship. Now, as God has blessed us every day more than we deserve, it is our chance and our privilege to give back to God our gratitude, a token of our gratitude in offering as the ushers come forward. Life that's an ending. 
came hoping to show you a way to be free. Shall we pray together? Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to give. You have provided for our needs on the journey of life when we need it. We thank you for that and we do trust you that uh, your wonderful gifts that we offer to you will be used to bless others in the growth of your kingdom and in their lives. This we pray in the name of our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. And we'll look forward to all our children coming forward to join Laurie. Now? Oh, sorry, that's way too much. Oh, find a happy medium. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Oh my gosh. My yeah, we'll do this. There you go. Good morning. Again, for like the sixth time, you may have heard me the first five. Look what I brought with me today. Can you tell what it is? It's, what is that? teddy bear. It's a teddy bear. It's kind of hard to tell because this is a very well-loved teddy bear. Our friends Brian and Angela Long gave this to my baby Sophie 15 years ago, and guess what? She imprinted with this bear. I mean, she took it with her everywhere. She slept with it. She took it, and you know how many times we had to go find it at night? Many, many times. She even took it with her to Nicaragua two summers ago and left it in the hotel. That was just two years ago. If you do the math, we might have a counseling issue here. 13 years, I had to pry it out of her arms this morning if I could borrow it because this bear 
gives her comfort. Do any of you guys have anything that gives you comfort like that? Do you have something? A book. A book? Nice. Anything else? Anything? Yes. My dog. Your dog. What else? My hamster. A hamster. These are like live things, Sophia. Yeah. What else? My brother. Wow. These are great. Awesome. Jack, do you have something? My dad animal. Your animal. Stuffed animal. Very cool. One more. Matthew. My sister's guinea pigs. That is some really cool comfort. So what I was thinking about was that God promises to comfort us. And I'm like, how do we tap into that? And I thought, the Psalms. We need to look at the Psalms because the Psalms do so many things for us. They're kind of like, look at this, right in the middle of the Bible. And here's what I know about the Psalms. There's 150 of them. Some of them, they're doing praise and thanksgiving and woohoo, God, this is great. Some of them, the Hebrew people say, man, we're mad about this. We're frustrated. We're angry. We need to be comforted. But they kept doing these poems and these songs straight up to God. So I thought one of the most well-known psalm is Psalm 23 because it helps us when we're afraid. Have you ever been afraid of anything at all? Sam, you going to share it? Something you've been afraid of? Um, my mind just got blank. I was, <laughs> I was thinking it might have been fear of the microphone. <laughs> a dog? Oh, like if you were afraid of a dog, yes. What else, Nathan? My brother's room when the lights are off. Oh my gosh, a dark room, like when the lights are off. Yes, that's so scary. Uh, a ride. Oh, like a big roller coaster or something. You bet. Matthew, one other one. A nightmare. A nightmare. Yes, all of those things. One last one. The dark. Scared of the dark. So here's the thing. When we're afraid, if we memorize this psalm, which we're going to do this summer, then we can say that in our head and we can hear God speaking to us and feel his presence. And so, in conclusion today, I thought we should read through. There's only six verses of Psalm 23. Does anyone want to read verse 1? All right. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Nice. Anyone want to do verse 2? All right, be ready to raise your hands out here, people. <laughs> here, hang on to it. He makes he make me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Nice. Anyone want verse 3? That's up here. Before I go out there, be ready. All right. Can you see that? He rests. I'll help you with the hard ones. He restores. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness, righteousness for his name's sake. sake. Nice. And number four, Kate, you want to, oh, sh hold on, Steph. Go ahead, Steph. Yay. Yay. So. so I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy, thy rod and the 
and my staff, they comfort me. Nice. And you know what? These are kind of long. Oh. oh, come on. Lynn, you got one? All right, Lynn. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. And number six. Oh, thank you. One more. Anyone digging for their glasses? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you so much. We are going to memorize this. We're going to learn what each verse means because here's the thing. Sometimes we need more than just a bear. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for promising to be with us and to comfort us. Help us to feel your presence. Amen. Good morning. I have been a friend with Steve McConnell for a long time. He's one of my dearest friends in ministry, and I know wherever Steve is pastor, a lot of health flows and follows. And I've been around this church long enough and this wonderful staff to know that that is true at Church of the Palms. I have been in Naples for a long time, and now I'm over in exile in Dallas, Texas, so I've, I've left southwest Florida just recently, but so great to be back here. And one of the reasons I knew this was a wonderful church is because of just how excited you are about the church. I came this morning, I came this morning in a, in a bit of duress. As we saw from young Sam down here in a moment, when the microphone is put up in your, in your mouth, it's a really frightening thing, which is why most of you wouldn't even read the Scripture, because it's frightening to speak in public, isn't it? How many of you have had the nightmare where you had to get up and speak in public, and not only in that, but you didn't have any pants. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? It happened to me today. I got up this morning, got getting ready to get dressed in the motel room, and my pants did not arrive from Dallas. So I showed up here at their church today in my golf shorts and was welcomed by a number of people one person said, I'm so glad you're here at Church of the Palms. So I thought it was great that you welcomed even a vagabond-looking guy like me. And they said, I wish you hadn't come today. We've got a guest speaker. But if you'll come back when our preacher's here or when one of our staff is preaching, you'd love Church of the Palms. In case you're wondering who that person is, they've just taken a dive into their wife's purse next to you. But uh, Very friendly, open, warm, gregarious place, this. And I knew this about you already. Uh, but I did, because of your wonderful staff, we all scrambled to overcome my wardrobe malfunction, and so indeed there is something on underneath this robe, fear not. Uh, one thing to give the coat off of your back, but your staff actually gave me their very trousers, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, and that uh, is a wonderful sign of being church, I'm sure. I, when I was a pastor, I pastored a church, and it had a street sign about a quarter mile from our church that said, slow church ahead. 
which meant slow down, you know. But I always was offended by that because I was thinking the first impression people have of our church is that we're a slow church. <laughs> slow church ahead. I wanted to be fast church ahead, clever church ahead, aggressive church, anything besides slow church ahead. But of course, of course, sometimes the church is slow. Sometimes we are a little slow on the uptake. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Now go scatter, go everywhere in the world, overcome every barrier, welcome everybody you possibly can. I mean nobody, nobody, from the last, the least, and the lost, nobody is unwelcome in this place. You're going to be the church for everywhere. And the church instead just sort of stayed tight with people who looked like them, sounded like them, who grew up with them. Let's just all stay right here in Jerusalem. And the book of Acts is in some ways a story of God getting a slow church to speed up and to finally grow into what that experience was about. It's hard, isn't it, to reach beyond our comfort zone, to really roll out the welcome mat to people who, you know, if weren't for the church, we might not be neighbors, we might not be friends, we might not go to the country club with them, but in the church, the church. There was a pastor friend of mine named Fred Craddock who tells about when he was the pastor of a really small church, his very first small church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Now, he was a pastor of Oak Ridge Christian Church, about 30 members, 107 years old, most of charter members still running the church. And all of a sudden, one day, somebody in Washington, throwing a dart at a map, decided to locate a world-class nuclear research facility in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So all of a sudden, people started flooding into there from foreign countries like Connecticut and Florida and Utah. And some of them, some of them even rode motorcycles. They had tattoos. They were not our kind of folk. And people in the church got nervous. What about if some of these newcomers try to come to our church? So they had a meeting of the elders, and they decided that in case that happened, they needed to do something about it. So they changed all the locks on the church, and they gave new keys to the new locks to the old members. And you couldn't get a key unless you'd owned land in the county for at least five years. And it passed 14 to 1. And Fred Craddock, young buck preacher, was the one, and he just thought, this doesn't seem right. I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. And as a matter of fact, he left the church because it just didn't feel right. It's, it's easy to just cling to people like us and to wish the church could be a club of people like us. Tom Long, Presbyterian professor of preaching in Princeton, tells a story about going to a conference one time, and he went into the elevator, to, you know, and there was a big sign on the back of the elevator wall that said, party, room 505, BYOB, which he assumed meant bring your own Bible. <laughs> and it said, you know, just like as if it was for everybody on the elevator. And Tom Long got sort of tickled thinking about whoever that party was really for because there was also a college lacrosse team in town. He was thinking, I wonder if they really meant the visiting preacher to come. Or I wonder if they really meant for the local police person to come. I wonder if they meant for their parents to come. I wonder if they meant for the person who's only renting this hotel for an hour to come. Because he said, of course they didn't. Who would throw a party for everybody? And then he got to thinking, I know who would. I know who would. And you do too. So here, in the book of Acts, 
is an example of God extending the invitation yet wider again. You might follow along in the scripture in front of you. It's the story in Acts chapter 8 where while the apostles are huddled in Jerusalem, the Spirit continually presses them out. And so one of the lay people, sometimes lay people get it quicker than clergy, one of the lay people named Philip was moved by the Spirit to extend the gospel. And here's his story. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness, desert road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him, and the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who can describe or find his generation or family, for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch paused and asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or, or someone else? And so Philip began to speak, and starting with this very scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariot to stop, and the both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. Fun story, this one. Ethiopia was on the Roman maps of the time about as far to the edge of the map as you could go. Like we would say Timbuktu. It's as far away as you can go from wherever you are. Ethiopia was sure enough about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. It was the far edge of all the known world to the Greco-Roman world. This guy is from that far away. Somebody's probably living, you feel like you're from that far away when you moved to Sarasota, right? You know, so no one speaks Canadian. What, what do I do here? Anyway, so it's a long way away. And this man is a eunuch. Uh, I have to figure out how to say this gently, but he's been made surgically sexless when he was a small boy. That's dreadful in every way you can imagine, but the truth is what they did in this society, they picked out the very brightest and best that they did this to of the slave population because what they were doing was grooming them for exclusive lifelong service in the upper echelons of the government. In this case, he serves the queen, and by being a eunuch, he'll never get married, never have children, and the idea of this is that he'll never say to the queen, I'd love to stay over tonight, but I've got an anniversary, I've got to get home. He'll never say that. He'll never say, I could work this weekend, but my son has a softball game. He'll never say that. He's a company man. Some of you probably work for companies that tried to make eunuchs out of you too, right? He has nothing to do but be totally and devoted focus only on the queen, and he's now risen so far in the government, he is secretary of the treasury. This is a wealthy 
wealthy man. He owns his own chariot. He has his own copy of the Scripture. Notice he's reading his own copy of the Bible. Some of you have 20 Bibles at home that you hurriedly dust one off and bring one out when, you know, one of the pastors comes by to visit. But we got lots of Bibles. In the first century, no one had their own copy of the Bible. It took the hides of 400 donkeys just to create the parchment for the Bible. So the donkey union was against everyone having a copy if nobody else. So that, but this guy has his own copy of Scripture. He's that wealthy. And now he travels 1,500 miles from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem because somehow in Africa, this man has learned about this religion of Judaism and about this God whose mercies are without end. And he wants to come see for himself. He hungers deep inside of himself that somehow, some way, there might be room for him. And after a 1,500-mile journey, do you know what he found when he got to the temple at Jerusalem? According to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, there was a sign over the front door. And the sign was a list of all the people who were not welcome. And the number one person on the list was eunuchs. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 if you've got the courage, go look it up. But that's where it came from. So he comes 1,500 miles to try to come worship, and he can't pass the physical. And now he's been rebuffed, stiff-armed, and he's on his way back home. Had I been rejected like that, I would have been taking my copy of the Bible and tearing it up leaf by leaf, wouldn't you? But not this guy. Even when Philip goes and runs and joins him on the chariot, which must surely have looked like someone robbing the stagecoach. I can't believe Philip wasn't you know, harpooned as he tried to do it. But the Spirit calls him to run out in the middle of the desert at high noon toward this chariot. And as he runs up next to it, here's this guy still pouring through the scroll. He's all the way to Isaiah 51 now. And he's reading about someone whose life was taken away, who has no children, who's been humiliated. And when Philip comes up and joins him, the eunuch can't help but say, who is this about? Could it be could it be that the prophet is talking about someone else? Well, of course, he is talking about someone else, and we know and Philip knew that in many ways this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ himself, whose suffering and death on the cross, this wide, open, stretching embrace of God in, in, emblazoned in our minds on the cross. And so Philip will tell him about Jesus, but I think what the eunuch is doing is he's looking somewhere in Scripture for his own name. He's looking for some place that he might light. His hunger is the same as my hunger. He just wants to know, am I in this story anywhere too? Because this is how I feel. I've been humiliated, and I don't have any generations. Could it be I've found my place? Here's my hunch. As all good witness, I have a hunch that what... Philip did is he started from that very place, as the scripture says, and he shared with him the gospel. But I think all he did was he just rotated over in the scroll about two chapters to Isaiah 56, verse 3. Listen to this. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wouldn't that have been good news to the ears of a eunuch, right? 
Is there somehow, some way you have found your place in the gospel? That's the story. Because if so, the joy you have over that, you'll never get over. And that's the reason the eunuch said when he heard this part of the story, he said, okay, what's the fine print? I've already been rejected once. Don't get my hopes up again. What's going to hinder me? What's going to really prevent me? Am I really going to be welcome in this community you're calling the church? Really? I'm a black man from Africa, from far away. I don't speak the language. I'm a eunuch. Really? I'd be welcome in the church? Would he? Would he be welcome here? Sometimes the church has done better at, at making sure some people don't feel welcome. Sometimes we do it in sort of humorous ways. Back when the 1800s was the wild west of Alabama and Kentucky and Michigan, when the, every little town had a Methodist church and a Baptist church and a Presbyterian church, and that was what diversity represented, those three. Sometimes what they would do, they didn't have air conditioning, so they'd roll up the windows and they would kind of yell each other down through the hymns. And the hymns were all about how they, their particular brand of faith was the right and only one. The Baptists, for instance, had a hymn, really do, they had a hymn that said, I'm a Baptist, 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 Baptist till I die, because if I stay a Baptist, I'll go to live on high. It was actually put to a tune. I'm a Baptist, 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 Baptist till I die, because if I stay a Baptist, I'll go to live on high. Hey! Uh, <clears throat> someone pointed out that it was also the same tune to 99 bottles of beer on the wall, and so they dropped it. The Methodists across town, across the corner, also, you know, had to yell them down, so the Methodists had a hymn. Uh, Tom Paine, by the way, in the 17th, uh, 18th century was a rationalist whose arguments about uh, universe was kind of emptying out churches uh, with a rational argument. Anyway, so the, the, the text of this Methodist hymn, hymn, hymn went like this. The devil, the Baptist, and old Tom Paine have tried their best, but all in vain. They can't prevail. The reason is the Lord defends the Methodists. <laughs> and then there was the satire that Jonathan Swift aimed at Presbyterians like us. Not that it was in our hymnal, but Jonathan Swift said it was. We are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. The heaven doesn't include you. We can't have the kingdom crammed. So sometimes, sometimes churches have not been as open. When Carl Sandburg, the poet laureate of America, was asked once by a cub reporter, what's the ugliest word in the English language, Mr. Sandburg? He stroked his chin and he said, the ugliest word, I think it's the word exclusive. Exclusive. And Jesus came so that that word would never be felt to anybody trying to make their way to the gospel. Anybody. By the way, remember that church I was telling you about in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where Fred Craddock was the pastor? Fifty years later, as a retired professor of preaching, he and Nettie, his wife, were driving down Interstate 40 in Tennessee, and they passed by the Oak Ridge exit. And he said to Nettie, it was on a Sunday morning, he said, you know, I've always worried about the little church where we started out. I, let's, just, let's just drive down there and see it. So they took a ride off the interstate, about four or five miles off the interstate was the sort of same looking country road out there. They rounded the corner, 
He assumed what he'd see would be the old thing falling in and shuttered up. But you know what he saw? When he turned the corner and he, there was the church in such glorious condition. And the parking lot was absolutely full. And as he drove into the parking lot, there were license plates from Connecticut and Utah and Canada and Florida. And his heart was about to burst. And right by the front door, there was a rack for motorcycles. And there was a great big sign out in the front, front yard that said, Welcome, Oak Ridge Barbecue Restaurant. <laughs> oh my, isn't it tragic when a barbecue restaurant remembers what the church forgets? What hinders me from being baptized, from being welcome, from being a part, from finding my name? in the ongoing story of the gospel. And Philip said, if God says yes to you, how dare we say no? I'm one of four children. Uh, when my older brother was 10, I was eight, my younger brother was six, and our little sister was four. We all had our own private bedrooms along one hallway like penitentiary cells. And my brother, my brother had a sign up on the outside of his door that said, keep out. As you might imagine, it was aimed, he might as well put my name on it. It was meant for me because I used to go borrow his clothes and I wish I'd brought his pants with me even today. But anyway, <coughs> keep out. Well, you know, the way I respond to rejection is I usually pass it on. And so I put a, a sign on my door that said, members only. <laughs> had a little club, I was a president, and my little brother was not a member. And so my little brother, he put a sign on his door that said, no girls allowed. Because <laughs> he shared the bathroom with our little sister, Kay, who was four. And, you know, I, as a church consultant now and former pastor, I've seen those signs, sometimes not written down, but I've felt those signs in church buildings. Signs that somehow say, keep out, you're not really one of us. All kind of ways we subtly can say that if we're not careful. Signs that say members only. You know, this is clearly a place that you got to be an insider. I was actually in a church once that actually had the sign that said no girls allowed. Or literally what it said was as you came in the sanctuary, it said no woman shall speak past this point. It was a very small church. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, our little sister, four years old, put a sign up on her door, too. And her sign said, welcome, anybody, spelled like it is in your worship guide, E-N-N-Y-B-O-D-Y. -N -N -Y she learned to spell from Chick-fil-A cows. <laughs> welcome, anybody. By God's humor, all three of us boys were called into ministry but my little sister instead became a Christian. <laughs> and she's the only one of the four of us really worth knowing. But her door is the only one that leads to a church. 
Welcome. Welcome. Anybody. Anybody. Isn't that good news? Let's pass it on. Take a moment and think about the incredible miracle that there was room in God's baptismal water for you. You may not remember it. It may be memories held by your parents. But in the collective memory of the communion of saints, remember at a time when the water was troubled and your desert was transformed into an oasis. Think about your baptism and celebrate like that Ethiopian eunuch who, according to tradition, went back and converted a lot of his friends in Ethiopia and founded the Coptic church there. Let's sing about your baptism right now. It is the table of the Lord. It doesn't belong to this church. It doesn't belong to Presbyterians. It's bigger than that. And there's room at this table for all. All who would just know him, confess him, belong to him. Come today not because you're full, but because you're hungry. Come not because you've got it figured out, but because you have questions that propel you. Come not because you are sinless, but because you're sinful. And come knowing this, that at this table, anybody is welcome. In the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks to God, he broke it. 
and give it to his disciples, saying, This is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. After the supper, Jesus also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Holy God, we praise you. Let the heavens be joyful and the earth be glad. We bless you for creating the whole world, for your promises to your people, and for Jesus Christ in whom your fullness dwells. Born of Mary, he shares our life. Eating with sinners, Jesus welcomes us. Guiding his children, he leads us. Visiting the sick, he heals us. Dying on the cross, he saves us. Risen from the dead, he gives new life. Living with you, he prays for us. With thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that this meal may be a communion in the body and blood of our Lord. Make us one with Christ, with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith, encourage us with hope, inspire us to love, that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ, your word made flesh, in the holy and life-giving spirit, now and forever. And here, as we pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus took bread.
Jesus took the cup.
let us give thanks to God in prayer. We give you thanks, O God, for having fed us with this bread of life and the cup of salvation. We pray that you'll send us out into the world to welcome everybody and anybody into your family of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and join me in singing hymn number 430. Come sing, O church, enjoy hymn number 430. Would you bow for the benediction? Go now with the gregarious, overwhelming, and contagious sense of joy that can only come from those who've been welcomed and embraced by God's incredible, amazing grace. Let us tumble out of here like butterflies set free and share joyously what we have received. Amen.